Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today's episode is all about hashtag love to know. And I bet you would love to know how to save five, six, seven, even $800 a month. Tell them what to do, Bruce. You go visit us over at savewithbruce.com. You fill out a form and you are on your way to start saving money immediately. But Conrad, do you need perfect credit? Absolutely not. Even credit scores in the 500s will qualify. What else can they do? I mean, what? okay, hang on. What if I've got like a car note, I've got my mortgage, and I've got all this credit card debt, man. What do I do? We're going to get you into one low monthly payment, the greatest tax deduction possible, and get you out of debt faster. Here's what we're going to advise you to do. If you could save an extra $600 a month and leverage all that to where you get a better rate and a greater tax deduction, what if you applied that extra 600 bucks you're saving to your principal on your loan? You're going to get out of debt faster, cheaper, and the absolute smartest way with the lowest rate, the biggest tax deduction. We make this fast and easy. And if you're a renter, we can even get you in a brand new house with no money down. But maybe the best thing right now, a summer vacation from house payments. Check it out right now at savewithbruce.com and you won't make a payment in June or July. You're done until August 1st. Again, you don't need perfect credit to do this and it's absolutely no money out of pocket to find out how much money you can save for free at savewithbruce.com. What's the rest of that info, Bruce? Well, it is fast, it's easy, it's savewithbruce.com. NMLS number 65084. We are an equal housing lender. Roll title that. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck you. Fuck you, Bruce. I love Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce, how are you? Oh, man. You know, it's 5.30 in the morning, Conrad. How the hell do you expect me to be waking up to do this show? Well, I'm pretty excited. We've got all the fan questions this week. Usually I get to ask you the questions, but this week the fans do, and that's actually pretty fun for me. So, so ask them. We're gonna, well, but first, I think you need to tell everybody about our live events coming up, don't you, Bruce? Yeah, we're going to be everywhere. Go to BrucePritchard.com. It's all right there. Cool. Let's get to the questions. Michael Huff wants to know, no one else will give a damn about this question, but why didn't the atom bomb gimmick work? I wasn't there. Next question. Josh Kuhn wants to know if contracts were not an issue, what would have been Bruce's five man WCW team for the invasion pay-per-view? I don't think I was there either. Gabriel PR wants to know when was the intercontinental championship retired in 2002? Was it originally supposed (sighs) to stay retired forever? Um, 
Was that the end of the questions? Was that the last one? Danny wants to know, did Bruce have any idea what type of gimmick he would have if he went to WCW in 1992? Yes. Are you going to answer any of these fucking questions, Bruce? God damn, I'm feeling good, man. How you feeling today? Man, I am burning it at both ends these days. Uh, as we record this, it is 5.30 in the morning, but I'm, I'm rip-roaring ready to go, man. Hey, you're going to love this one, Conrad. I, I, my wife got one of those Fitbits for Mother's Day, and it tells you how you sleep. Yeah. And I, I wore it last night, and I, <laughs> I think I had 29 minutes of actual sleep like you know deep sleep i had less than an hour of of rem sleep uh i was pretty impressed with that i thought damn all right i didn't know i was capable of deep sleep yeah that's a cool story bro i'm excited about all these live events we've got coming up just last week we announced that we're coming to pittsburgh on july 15th if you haven't already go pick up your tickets they're moving fast and the rumor and innuendo is that a week prior at comedy at the carlson in rochester new york those are flying off the shelf and we've just opened up some more tickets last week for our sold out show in chicago now we've got tickets but less than 100 remain house of blues june 16th and you can see nxt that same day so don't miss us chicago rochester pittsburgh we're coming to see you june 16th july 7th and july 15th of course gramercy theater our home away from home in august it's gonna be august 18th SummerSlam weekend and there's rumor and innuendo bruce that this last week you were successful in locking down a los angeles date this is the first time we've been in like a year it is and i'm looking so forward to returning to the regent theater and we are going to be their survivor series weekend we're going to give you all of those details next week but we're also coming to boston in october and we're going to be in the bay area in december so i'm pretty damn psyched man a lot of things happening a lot of big announcements a lot of big news coming up over the next several weeks i also want to mention we've still got san antonio in september don't forget about that and maybe the show I'm looking forward to the most, we're going to be like a block away from the stadium show for Royal Rumble in January of next year at Stand Up Live in Phoenix. All these tickets are available right now at BrucePritchard.com to throw that in your Google machine. Don't put a T in his name. Put one on your back. You can also pick up a T-shirt there at BrucePritchard.com. Lots of fun designs. And eventually... When you pick up a shirt there, Bruce will give you a call. So Bruce, let's go ahead and get right into it. You know, usually we have the fans ask questions at the end of the show and you know, we just run through a half dozen or so today we've got well over a hundred and this is going to give you a little bit of everything stuff that, you know, I like to say, I don't know when we're going to talk about him again. So let's jump into it and we'll sort of bounce around and have some fun with this today. But first, I guess we should tell everybody. Our poll was a nail biter, man. It came down to the very end of this thing. It was neck and neck with Yokozuna and Bob Holly, poor old Tataka. He came in, he came in fourth when we were able to reach Tataka for comment. What did he say, Bruce? (laughs) Bob Backlund came in third and Yokozuna came in second, losing 40% to 41%. I've got to think the reason Bob Holly won is because he had an idea. How about he just beat everybody and give him the belt? 
But then what do we talk about after that, Bob? How I beat everybody. Bitch. <laughs> I don't know why that's fun, but it is. Man, I'm pretty excited about it because, you know, we're going to be covering Bob Holly next week right here on the show. And then we've got the King of the Ring, 1993, on June 8th. That's a very significant show. Bret Hart is going to win the King of the Ring, of course, with Hulk Hogan's last shot in the WWF. Bad Blood, 2003, also a pretty big deal. We're going to be covering Triple H versus Kevin Nash, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, Goldberg and Jericho, Austin and Bischoff. The following week, man, a topic people thought we would never tackle. Sable. She actually sued the company back in June of 1999 for $110 million. And it almost feels like she's one of those people you're not allowed to talk about in WWE, but we're going to. So mark your calendars on June 22nd. We get this question about every day, June 29th, King of the Ring, 1998. The day Mick Foley had a match that changed wrestling forever, man. It's the day after the 20 year anniversary on June 29th to join us. King of the Ring, 1998. And then we're going to get cruising into July. Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake on July 6th. Muhammad Hassan on July 13th. The invasion pay-per-view on July 20th and vengeance 2003 which is something we got a lot of questions about why didn't you cover vengeance brother love was on that well because we're covering the whole show on july 27th so we're really excited about this schedule we put a lot of time effort and energy in there and we hope you're excited for this run we're going to get started with you next week with bob holly but let's get started on some questions bruce of course you know you were messing around there for a little bit let's talk about it michael wants to know why didn't the atom bomb gimmick work? I don't think that, uh, well, I wouldn't say that Brian Clark was not committed to it. He was committed to it, but it just did not for whatever reason that it factor was not there. And I don't know that there was a whole lot that we could do with, with Adam bomb beyond what we did every time that we tried to take another step. I'm not sure that the audience really wanted to follow and, and move along with us, but he sold some footballs, some footballs, you know, the atom bomb footballs that we had made that he would go out and throw out into the, uh, into the crowd. And that was, that was something you, they were like nerf with the little tail on them and stuff. Oh my God. I just looked at one. It says Adam bombs, bomb squad. Yeah. I cannot believe this was a fucking thing. Oh yeah. And that was, that was one of my deals because I had one of those sitting in my, on my desk. And I was like, man, we should sell these son of a bitches for Adam bomb. And we did. Whose idea was Adam bomb, you know, with, I don't know, just the, the gear and that came from, you know, we were looking Brian Clark, big, good looking bastard, man. And he, he had all the tools. I forget what the hell his name was in, in WCW, but he had come up and looking at him just going through names and thinking about different things. And, and Adam bomb came out of our mouth. And next thing you know, he's on TV and he changed his tattoo on his arm from like a tiger or a, a cougar or something like that to Adam bomb. Uh, he started, he started as the night stalker, uh, the night stalker. Yes. And then eventually, of course, I think most people remember him as wrath 
or, uh, just, you know, Brian Clark, which is his real name, by the way. And, um, I don't know, man. He's a bit, as you said, a big old jacked up dude. It feels like you guys would have had something better for him than this silly fucking outfit. Well, then that bell had to ring and silly. Hey, but he sold a lot of merchandise and they, you know, that part of it was good. <laughs> I, I <laughs> they can't to... all be, they can't all be good. Conrad. Come on. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are the how are the how are the Adam Bob sales going? <laughs> hey, you sold ten more today, boss. I love it. God damn it! Let's see, wrestling challenge, Adam Bob. We sold ten more. I don't know why, but <laughs> this guy's worth four and a half billion dollars. And to think twenty years ago, who's pretty excited about selling ten of these fucking eight dollar footballs? Uh, Josh wants to know if contracts were not an issue. What would Bruce's five-man WCW dream team for the Invasion pay-per-view have been? Sting, number one. Sure. Uh, Ric Flair, Goldberg. Yep. Uh, And then from there... Kevin Nash. Well, see, you know, to me... DDP. DDP would have been a great one, yes, because I was looking for pure WCW guys um, that hadn't ever been in the WWE at the time. So Buff Bagwell. Yeah, maybe, maybe Buff Bagwell. He would have been somebody. <laughs> hey, why not? But see, you know, like the Steiners had already been there. The I would have kept the NWO NWO if all things were considered equal and you're saying at the prime time and contracts not being an issue. But definitely Goldberg, Sting, uh I, I will throw flair in there even though he had a tour ddp is a good one and bagwell's not a bad one what about um what about if bagwell wasn't in there and you could put mysterio in there wow i i don't think at that time that mysterio you know mysterio was really over as a light heavyweight for them and i don't know that he really would have been over with our audience at that way. I think that we did a lot more with Ray than, than they did to make him a star. You know, Scott Steiner was more of a singles guy at the time. I think he could have fit in there. Yeah, he could have, you know, I mean, I guess we're, we're glossing over, you know, Booker one, T. Oh my God. That's what I was going to say. The biggest, the biggest star, you know, to come out of WCW, in my opinion, and make it in the WWE. How in the hell did I forget Booker T? Booker you know, T. Basically your best friend too. I was going to say we, we overlooked Jeff Jarrett and Booker T. So let's run through that. Your dream team again would be Sting, Ric Flair, Booker T, Goldberg, and DDP. That is it. That's a pretty good fucking crew. I can't argue with you. Um, and they all would have, and every single one of them would have taken the pedigree and got their ass beat. One, two, three. I love you for that. Gabriel wants to know when the IC championship was retired. in two, was it originally supposed to stay retired forever? Of course, everything that happens, this is it. The last time I ever want to hear about it. It was because we felt that we had too many championships at the time. That was the, that was the ideal. Danny wants to know, did Bruce have any idea what kind of gimmick he'd have if he went to WCW in 1992? I was going to be a heel manager as Bruce Pritchard. And baby, you just go on and be who you is. You just be that wrestling expert. You like, just go on and, and tell your story and your, and your 
that this is this is a true this is a hundred percent true quote too from the dream. You come on out in your in your custom made Hong Kong suit and you be you, baby. You have all the heat you'll ever need. Do you think that your wrestling career would have been different had you done that? I mean, had you been more had you actually made that jump and been more in front of the camera in nineteen ninety two? Because you had, you know, I mean, when you come back to the company in late 92, you're pretty much behind the scenes with the exception, you know, of the rare brother love appearance here or there, or just a random pull apart, but never like a featured on camera act, but you had been just a few years prior with brother love. Had you went to WCW, do you think your career would have wound up being, you know, with you more as a heel manager and a part of the booking committee instead of just purely behind the scenes. Yes, I, I, I do. I think that it would, I think a lot more people would have known the name Bruce Pritchard mm-hmm. versus brother love. Mm-hmm. And I think that it probably would have had a, a pretty damn decent run run there because there wasn't really anybody else. They were looking to get rid of Paul Heyman at the time. And there really wasn't anybody else in WCW that would have fit that role to compare it to. So I think I probably would have. Obviously, you know, you're pleased with the way everything turned out for sure. You know, so we're not sort of saying, Oh, I wish, but do you ever sort of wish that you would have had more TV time in that regard? Because, you know, I do feel like before our podcast, you know, you were sort of out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. And that maybe wouldn't have been the case had you been on TV that entire run. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but at the same time, I think for me, one of the things that I enjoy most is when you're a producer, you get to be all of the talent. You get right. to be all, every, everybody. And so for me, that was always more fun being everybody versus just playing one character. And man, if you think people hate you now, imagine if you would have been on air all those years, because people, oh, yeah. people love to talk shit about the people in front of the camera, even more so than behind the camera. Exactly. But you, you know, the funny thing is, is when you look at like WWE right now and the fire road dog, uh, whole thing that people have, the only reason it's fire road dog is because they don't know the names. Of the other writers. That's exactly right. On Raw and everything else. So Road Dog is just the guy that's out in front of it, but Road Dog's not making the final decision. He's just the one in there doing all the work and the grunt work and making it all happen, and they know his name. So do not fire Road Dog. He's doing a hell of a job, and he's a good guy, and he's got a family, and I hate it when people say fire people. Well, I'll tell you what, you were fired up this past weekend. You got to check out NXT live and in color for the first time. And I wanted to sort of get your take on that because we've never really talked about NXT on this show because frankly, you haven't seen any of it. Yes. And I went, they had NXT in Houston. I went, went down, uh, Drake, man, thanks for the invitation because I'm going to hold you personally responsible for this. Drake's one of the referees at NXT invited me down and I got to see, uh, Albert, Matt Bloom and Scotty Two hottie, two of my bestest, bestest friends in the business. And I got to see NXT. Let me tell you, Conrad, it absolutely blew me away. I, I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I was expecting a glorified spot show or a glorified independent show. 
this was a major production. It was like a television production for a live event. They were doing pre-tapes. They had the big screens up. It was a production. Beautifully done. They had cameramen there. Uh, the talent. All I can say is hats off to every one of the talent. And I started laughing towards the end of the show, thinking these guys are working to get to the show. They're working to get to the WWE. They're already in the show if you're at NXT. It is amazing, and it was a great, great live experience. I was just blown away. And shout out to Drake, man, who's been one of our early listeners. Uh, he was listening to us and, and sort of DMing me long before it was approved by the company, back when it was like, hey, I'm not sure if we're supposed to acknowledge this or not, but I love the show. So uh, always cool to run into him to airports when we're doing our live shows. Did you ever see Drake's independent work when he was uh, an in-ring wrestler and, and not a referee? No, I haven't. So throw that in your Google machine right now. I want you to type in Drake Younger and click images. I think you'll be surprised to see uh, Drake as a wrestler. All right, I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, see those uh, about five photos over there? No rope barbed wire matches. Yeah, that's okay, man. You can keep that shit. I'm just saying it's hard to imagine that, you know, we have, we, we have befriended here the most hardcore referee in the history of referees, <laughs> fucking barbar baseball bats and all this craziness. And now like the nicest guy ever, and you would never imagine it. And he's wearing stripes. So shout out to Drake for listening to the show and being an early supporter of us. Let's get back to the questions here. Jeff wants to know, I don't think it's ever been discussed on the show. How Conrad and Bruce met. Let's hear it. Why don't you take this one? I, I well, we we have discussed it, and it was uh, when you again meet you talk about life changing moments, and this is what I like to tell everybody, man. Don't be so closed minded that you just say no to everything. And and I had become that way. I had become very closed minded about a lot of things, and I I got a text from you. Saying, hey, man, and you uh, asked me to come to Alabama and talk to some of your buddies and different things. And I was like, eh, I don't really know. And then I started talking to, I talked to Ric Flair, I talked to Michael Hayes about who's this Conrad guy. And they said, hey, he's a pretty good dude. Came up there and uh, met you, hung out a little bit. And then we started talking about business and different things. And the rest, as I say, is history. But it all just kind of kind of happened by a chance meeting and Ric Flair giving you my number and changed my life. So that's how the initial initial happened. And the rest of it, man, just came from, uh, talking and bullshitting and being people. And now here we are, man. Who would have thought, you know, it worked out uh, two time, two time podcast, podcast of the year. Of the Come on. Uh, I guess it's worth mentioning that, uh, my friends and I actually got that idea from seeing on pictures online and stuff where people were like having Jimmy Hart come to their Royal rumble party and they'd all pull some cash together and have Jimmy Hart come, uh, you know, watch the show with them. Well, then I contributed to a Kickstarter for Barbar city, which was an ECW documentary in 2003. And one of the perks was, Hey, you, uh, if you donate a certain level, an ECW wrestler will come to your house and screen the movie with you before it's released. And I thought, fuck, that actually sounds pretty cool. 
So I donated and Shane Douglas came to my house and watched the movie and wound up spending several hours just bullshitting with me and my friends. And we got to pick his brain and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So, you know, I, I eventually run this past Rick and he's like, oh man, you know who you need for that? Bruce Pritchard. That dude's got more stories than any. If you think Shane Douglas was entertaining, man, you need to talk to Bruce Pritchard. So on Rick's recommendation, I hit up Bruce and said, Hey man, this is a little weird, but so Bruce came down on a pay-per-view weekend. It happened to be the night before where Alabama was playing football. And of course, Bruce knows as much about football as my dog, but he knew that one of the teams was from Texas and one was from Alabama. So the entire time he's trolling everyone at my house, yelling, whoop, giga Maggie's. He doesn't even know what he's saying right now, but he knew that that was not the roll tide we were looking for in my household. And we were fast friends. And so once everybody sort of dissipates and, and, uh, sort of finds their way to sleep, all my friends who'd sort all my wrestling friends who'd sort of came in from all over the country who were like, Oh my God, Vince's right hand man's going to be here. We're going to get the real shit. This will be awesome. Uh, Bruce looked at me and said, what the fuck do you do? And we were <laughs> off to the races and, uh, we started working on a campaign together, uh, for a video shoot. Cause I needed to do a commercial. And I said, Hey man, I got this shoot coming up. Would love to help you have you help me sort of beat up a shot list. And he did. And we started working on a handful of shot lists. And before you do it, we were doing more and more of those. And, uh, ta-da one day I said, Hey man, what happened when the radicals jumped from WCW to the WWF Bruce went on a tear and told an hour long story with me asking questions along the way, just like you hear now. And when we were fit, when he was finished with the story, we had run through all those different emotions. If you haven't listened to that radicals episode, I can't recommend it enough. It really is the first one that sort of put us on the map. Well, then Bruce and I were hanging out and I said, man, we got to make this a podcast. This is a podcast. And Bruce had done a podcast before, believe it or not, but he had done sort of the standard wrestler format. And I said, no, let's not do that. What you just said, that's the podcast. So maybe we could, you know, tie up any loose ends from the prior week and then cover one topic long form, you know, for over an hour. And then talk about very briefly, whatever's going on in current wrestling at the end. Eventually, of course, you guys know, we scrapped that current wrestling at the end. There's a thousand other podcasts for that, but I wound up convincing him to do a, uh, a sample run and go ahead and record like a practice episode. And he liked it and I liked it. So we did one more practice episode and then I hit up court Bauer and said, I got an ideal. And at the time I sort of had the hot hand with MLW because the Ric Flair show was the number one show there based on downloads. So court probably felt like, even though I don't really like Bruce Pritchard, uh, if Conrad wants to do it, I'm going to keep him happy. So we'll do it. And now courts working with Bruce at MLW. Everybody's happy. It all worked out. You guys dug what we were doing and supported it in a big way. And, uh, who would have ever thought, you know, that this idea from my fucking basement would have turned into a real business and a lot of fun. I definitely wouldn't have thunk it, but I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad it did. Me too, man. It's been a hell of a ride. Yeah. And, and we're not done. So. Uh, Joe wants to know, you were supposed to tell the full Terry Taylor watch story on the brother love show. Can you tell it here? No, but you know what? If you come to one of our live shows where nothing gets out and we our audience at the live shows respects that when we come near you, 
I'll tell it there. And I know a lot of people are going to be disappointed in that answer, but we try not to admit to crimes here on the show. Uh, yes. Brett and this, <laughs> Brett wants to know. <laughs> well, we, we, we try, yeah, we, we try not to put anybody in jail and, and as yeah. a rule, we, we try not to talk about crimes. Uh, Brett yes. wants to know what was everyone's reaction backstage to the night DX mocked Shane and Vince on raw in 2006. Sean's imitation of Shane's dance is priceless. <laughs> it was priceless. And it was, you know, one of those where everybody is daring them to do certain aspects of the other's personality. Oh, you won't do, you know, you won't do this for Vince. And, um, I think everybody was highly entertained with them. Anytime that you get to do a parody, but especially when you get a parody, of the boss and have fun, making fun of Vince. You go, I don't, I, God damn it. I don't sound like that. Um, I think everybody was happy as shit laughing our ass off at it. Liam wants to know in Bruce's opinion, who was the best wrestler from the territory days that didn't make it to either the WWF or Jim Crockett promotion. Well, as far as national goes, I'd have to say Wahoo McDaniel, Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, no, Wahoo was some... all over JCP. He was all over JCP, but before they went national, um, what about Brody? Okay. who Brody? Brody definitely is, is somebody to be up there. Um, Gino Hernandez, another one that, uh, was pretty much just over in, in Dallas and died way too soon. Brody would have been one of those that would have been great to have for Vince's company. Definitely in a run with Hogan. Holy shit. That would have been huge money. DJ Lewis wants to know, was Joey styles pulled from WrestleMania 22 and backlash 06 because his commentary abilities or to build the ECW relaunch. Vince was looking at, at that time. He was looking to do the ECW wanted to get Joey off of the, off of that. And, uh, felt that if you take him away, when he returns for ECW, he'll mean that much more. Where would you rank Joey all time as a commentator in professional wrestling? I think people all often put over, you know, Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and Lance Russell and Gordon Soley and even Bob Cottle, but you'd never hear anybody put over Joey Styles. You know, I'll put over Joey Styles for his emotion and Joey Styles for his passion in the way that he called the ECW. Joey Styles was as much responsible for the ECW phenomenon as anybody is, is the talent or Paul or anybody else because people identified Joey's, oh my God, and his unique style of calling the action with that brand. So Joey was very responsible for ECW's success. I think overall is a play-by-play guy. You're going to laugh at this, uh, but he is in the top five. And I, I, I wouldn't have put Bob Cottle in there. I didn't think Bob Cottle was a good play-by-play guy. Uh, you, you have to place. And I have to put Vince in there, too, uh, because Vince told a good story. But you got, you know, JR, you got Vince. I put Tony up in there, and I'd put Gordon, and I'd put Joey. Oh, so there you go. Uh, Joshua wants to know why did Shamrock leave the WWF? Ken wanted to go back to MMA fighting and Ken wanted to felt that he was still young enough. Kind of like, I guess what Brock may be doing here coming up soon. Uh, Ken felt that he wanted to fight some more. He wanted to get back in the octagon and prove that he wasn't washed up. And that was Ken's passion. Ken loved to be in the octagon fighting. 
Uh, here's a fun one here from I Worship Stacy. Dynamite Kid's book had a passage where Vince told him off once for not shaving. And he says, I like my baby faces to be clean shaven. So I worship Stacy wants to know when Macho Man turned face, was there any conversation with him and Vince about changing his look to get rid of the trademark beard? No, there wasn't. However, uh, do you remember um, Ken Resnick, who was the interview guy after Oakland? And it yes. was while Gene was still there. And Ken Resnick was the interview man for Vern Gagne's AWA before coming to the WWE. He interviewed with Vince in Stanford, and Vince told him, he goes, you're hired, but that mustache has got to go. And Ken said, okay. And Vince pulled his razor out of his desk, and next thing he heard was, mm, and Ken came out clean shaven. So, yeah, Vince Vince wasn't a big one on facial hair at all. But um, why, does he, why does that happen for him and not a mean Gene Okerlund? Because Gene was first, and that was, I think, a part of Gene's look. Um, look, man, I can go back to Ed Cohen, who was the the guy that booked the arenas for the building. Ed Cohen came into Vince's office at the Cape Cod Coliseum early on when Vince was hiring people for the company. And Cohen came in with a – he had a beard, a leather jacket, and a hot blonde on his arm. And Vince told him, he goes, all right, you're hired but two of the three got to go. And Vince was referring to the leather jacket and the beard. Cohen got rid of the leather jacket and the, and the girl and kept the beard. And Vince eventually got the beard off of him and Ed got to keep his mustache. But Vince is not a big one on facial hair. Goddamn pal. God damn it. Uh, Dismal wants to know, what does Bruce think about former world champions winning the intercontinental title or United States belts? As a fan, this drives me crazy. It's like watching a guy fight for a demotion. No, I think anytime that you're fighting for a championship, hopefully it will mean something. And if it's someone who is a former world champion and you can tell the right story, then hopefully it's going to make the championship mean that much more. To me, I've always, especially in this era, you know, in the more, maybe not 30 years ago, but now I view like the different belts, the intercontinental, the U S you know, the universal and the world. So there's like four major men's singles titles. I sort of like to think of them as almost like boxing belts. So this is like the WBF and this is the IBF and this is the blah, 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 blah. That's a great analogy because I think that they do have equal importance. Right. Uh, Mick wants to know why didn't the Widowmaker gimmick work for Barry Windham in 89 and why was his run so short when Barry came back in eight and First of all, I think that the Widowmaker would have would have worked huge. And again, guess whose idea that was? That was yours. Um, it was. I loved it. I loved it. And I stole it straight from straight from Dusty about the Widowmaker baby. And actually, no, I take that back. It was Dusty's analogy that I used for the name Barry Windham and. The Widowmaker was the bull of the wood. He was the baddest bull. He was the one bull that couldn't be ridden. So in the rodeo, that was a big deal. I thought the name was cool, the Widowmaker. Um, Barry came in, and 
once again, I think the travel and everything that came along with it for Barry at that time in his life didn't fit his lifestyle and he didn't want to be there. And Vince liked Barry a lot. So, you know what, Barry, if you're unhappy here, I'm going to let you go. So Barry chose to leave at that time. Man, what would have been, uh, Sean wants to know if warrior and flair did not leave in late 92 or early 93, what would they have done at WrestleMania nine? That's a great question. It is a great question. And I, I don't think that they would have worked with one another because you talk about a clash in styles. I don't even know if Ric Flair could have made that one, uh, passable, so to speak. So that would have been the plan. You think them wrestled to each other? They were headed to flair and warrior at nine. No, we, I mean, from my vantage point, I don't know that we even really had a solid plan at WrestleMania nine when everybody left in November, uh, at least not one that I was privy to at that point. We were working when I got there in September, you know, we were working to survivor series and then everything blew up with bulldog and warrior leaving. But I could have seen that being a logical progression, you know, getting to flair and warrior, but. It was never really discussed. I just think that would be a horrible match. Michael Scott Moore wants to know after the screw job, if Davy and not Hart would have stayed with the company and not left for WCW, would they have remained as the Hart foundation and have Owen take over as a leader, similar to the way triple H did with DX after Sean left. Great question. I, great question. Hindsight being 2020, I definitely would have done that. Uh, another great question from Michael here. Why did the WWE never recognize the history of the light heavyweight title from 1981 to 1997 when it was defended in Japan? Because it was in Vince's viewpoint, he wasn't a big fan of the light heavyweights or the cruiserweights. And that was really a, a Japanese, that was a new Japan championship that his dad would recognize every once in a while in the garden when Fujinami or whoever was holding that would come over and do their garden tour, but it wasn't really a WWE championship. It was a new Japan championship. Dylan has got a question. I know you're going to love Bruce. I don't even know if Bruce was there for this, but how did the Eddie slash Ray child custody ladder match come about? Was everyone cool with it? Yes, everyone, everyone was cool with it. Eddie Guerrero's book had come out, and in Eddie's book, Eddie spoke about the hard times that he had dealing with his substance abuse issues. And during one of the times that he was separated from his wife, Vicky, um, and I don't even know if they actually got divorced or not or if they were just separated, but Eddie had, had gone on and tried to move on with his life, and Eddie had a child with another woman. And... It was in his book. He didn't talk a whole lot about it, but people were, were bringing up the question and, and asking about it. And Eddie's book was a bestseller. So we thought, wow, what if this time that Eddie's away and it doesn't matter about math or anything else, but, but people can sit there and do the math. What if that child that Eddie had out of wedlock was Dominic? Because we'd seen a little bit of Dominic on TV with Ray and you just tell the story that, Hey, Dominic, I'm your daddy. I'm your puppy. It was, I don't want to say it was a tough sell. It was probably a tougher sell to Vince and everybody else than it was to the talent because Eddie and Ray loved it. 
the tough sell was to Ray's wife and Eddie's wife, um, who got together because you're dealing with real life and you're dealing with real people. And those kids have to go to school. Dominic has to go to school. Eddie's girls had to go to school and deal with what we're telling on TV, which was based in reality. Um, but yeah, everybody was cool with it and they were all on board and, and kind of liked it. So we went with it and I thought it was one of, one of the best stories we ever told. Ryan wants to know what's the story behind Vince McMahon being a heel on Memphis TV in 1993. Lawler had come in to do commentary with us and Vince is a natural heel, man. He's just a natural heel. And Lawler says, gosh, Vince, you know, the, the most requests I get and the most people in Memphis want to see me knock out is you. So hell I'll make a shot for you. I'll go down there. And that's how it all began. It, a conversation in the announce booth that turned into reality and Vince going down there and getting a little taste of being a heel. And it was easy for him. Man, we were off to the races after that. What a cool story. I can't wait to talk about that in long form sometime. John wants to know, setting aside your dislike for the ultimate warriors, ultra stiff style and respect for the business, given your unique perspective of the industry. As nice as it is, does it bother you that the WWE has sort of changed the premise of the warrior award from his original intent from warriors, original intent, his concept was let's recognize some of the behind the scenes folks who have made all of this possible. And he wanted to celebrate guys who like worked, you know, probably a Mark Eaton and, you know, guys who were behind the scenes for years and years and years who allowed guys like himself to sort of become stars by doing a lot of the quote unquote, heavy lifting behind the scenes. Now, of course, it's more of a PR celebration of overcoming adversity and it's a feel good story, but that's not really maybe what he wanted. Well, I think that the, you know, what it is become is, is I guess good for the company. And what have you, I do believe I agree with the sentiment of rewarding some people behind the scenes because it is a huge team. And without that crew that goes out and the unsung heroes that are at the buildings at four o'clock in the morning doing load in so that when everybody else walks in at 11, man, you're, you're ready to go that they do deserve recognition. So in that regard, I think that there should be an award. And I do think that there is a hall of fame for some of those guys like, you know, Frank, the audio guy from Philadelphia who looked like Ben Franklin, who we used as Ben Franklin an awful lot, a uh, great guy, but Jim Miranda, who the warrior pointed out in his speech, there are so many people, Steve Taylor, that, that just work behind the scenes thanklessly and effortlessly to make it all come together. And they're, they are the unsung heroes. Well, I hope one day we get something in there for him. Donald wants to know when Bruce left in 91, Hogan was champ and a major face of the company. When he returned, they were putting the title on Bret Hart. Did this surprise Bruce and who else was considered to be the guy in September of 1992? Well, actually the, the champion, when I came back was, was flair and we had to make that change because of some health issues with Rick at the time. And I had, you know, I had, I was a part of that decision to make Brett the champion. So it, it was a change in philosophy and kind of a change that we were forced to do because of Rick's health issues. And I think, I don't know, it, it was to me, 
I, I thought Brett, obviously, bell to bell, different style and completely different. I thought Brett was an opportunity to be able to help sell wrestling to our audience and not so much show. Hogan drew more people. Hogan was more exciting and had the gaga and the show. Um, Brett had the wrestling skill. So it, it was just a difference and a change in philosophy that I agreed with. The other guys, the other guys that were considered, um, man, there, you know, there were guys like Tito Santana that, that was considered. There were, you know, Warrior was considered at that time in September. Uh, even putting it back on Savage, did we want to go there? Savage was looking to get out. Um, Bulldog was another one coming right off of the win um, in Wembley Stadium. But you know, there's always those what ifs, and those were some of the what ifs that we talked about that kind of settled on Brett because he was the reaction he'd gotten overseas was huge. You mentioned how 2002 was a cluster with injuries in the draft. At what point did you all feel like things were a bit more stable? 2003. This is from OK Fabe. Well, yeah, because it t- you know it seemed like it took a year, and then you you get a year, you get some of your stalwarts back, and then it seems like they would almost drop in cycles. You, you'd get two back, three more would drop, um, and after a while, you just kind of you become immune to it, and it and you just have to fight through it, and you can't look at it as as low times and high times. You have to just work all the way through it, and make them all as high as you possibly can. Uh, Gabriel wants to know, did you produce or have any stories of the WrestleMania seven George Steinbrenner debate? That's now been deleted from the network. <laughs> really? Uh, that was some damn good stuff. I, I did. I, I did have a lot to do with that. Vince and I did the majority of that with Steinbrenner. And that was, that was some fun stuff. I have no idea why the hell they would delete that thing. Cause it was some entertaining stuff with Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner was a huge fan. And, uh, loved working with us. Chris writes, chat us up, Bruce, about Jericho's clandestine meeting with Vince at his house. Who in the company knew about it? Was Jericho really under contract with WCW when it happened? And if so, were there concerns of a lawsuit? Why take the risk with this meeting? Well, he was during a, it was during a time that Jericho could talk, but at the same time, Jericho didn't want to have it get out, nor did Vince. And it was Jerry Briscoe who put all that together. And Jerry Briscoe was the one who got everybody in the right place at the right time. So without Briscoe, I don't know that that would have happened. They, uh, Briscoe and Jericho were neighbors. They live pretty close to one another and nothing wrong with having lunch with somebody and seeing how the hell you're doing to find out what their situation is. Andrew wants to know in the past, Bruce had mentioned that he had some stories about Heyman lobbying to get certain wrestlers during the brand extension. During the draft episode, none of that was discussed though. Can we hear about it now? I think the funny, the funniest story was that, you know, you had your workers like, uh, Benoit Guerrero, um, Kurt angle that were, you know, just those, those stud workers bell to bell that Paul had a relationship with and that Paul really wanted and felt that what he did is he went in and, and tried to convince Brian Gewertz that if I give you this and, and he used, uh, edge and Christian who were really used to working with Brian, they had a good relationship with Brian. They were friends and he says, I will give you them, which I really shouldn't because it is the hottest act in the company. And Paul would put over all the guys that he wanted to trade to raw 
if if we can make an agreement for them to come to SmackDown, and it was it was the Guerreros, and it was the Benoits, and it was Angle, and stuff like that, to where it was just funny to watch and the maneuvering because it really was behind the scenes trying to outwit <laughs> your opponent, if you will, to, to get the talent. Um, and that was it. It was just the machinations of, of Paul trying to convince Brian that anybody that like the un-Americans, Lance Storm and Test and those guys to, you should have them because that is the hottest act in the company when they weren't the hottest act in the company. And he knew that Storm didn't want to do it. And he knew that, you know, Tess, those guys were a little bit afraid of the heat. Uh, Tamara wants to know whose departure from the company had the biggest impact on the product. Mm, probably, uh, I, I, without question, probably Razor and Diesel. And not just them leaving, but them appearing at WCW in the timely manner that they did in the way they did. Chad wants to know, did Bruce ever think this podcast would get him back in the WWE? Well, Conrad, you know, when you and I started talking about this and, and we were going through it and I just, you remember, I said, fuck it. I'm never going back there. Yep. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's just go for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So the answer to the question is no. If anything, I thought it would, uh, drive a wedge even further between me and the WWE. But you know, now two time, two time. Uh, James wants to know, we've always heard about a section of the tape library that is marked. Do not view copy or destroy any insight as to what's actually inside that section. They didn't know there was a section that says do not view copy or destroy. A lot of people uh, believe that that's where Owen's accident is, that there's some sort of set of tapes that have been marked to not watch copy or destroy, but they maybe feel legally obligated to own. I've, yeah. I've never heard of that. So I really can't comment. I, that is the first time I have ever heard of that. I think that's probably more of an urban legend than an actual fact. Horror movie barbecue wants to know besides Bobby Heenan jr. Were there ever any other potential characters discussed for Bruce that wound up not making it on TV? There were, uh, yes. Uh, I was going to come back basically as Bruce, um, the real person behind brother love with dark hair to manage the undertaker at one point. There was the, the time that I wanted to do the other one with the ultimate warrior where the ultimate warrior got me into shape and till where he discovered me as that I was actually truly brother love. Um, so those were the two that were serious and everybody likes to show the stuff online, I guess, in whatever matches where I used to go down and collect hardcore materials after, after matches. And you'd see me pick things up in the background and run up to the, to the backstage area. The idea behind that was we were going to do an auction and I was going to be the guy that was doing the auction, um, kind of a sleazy character, but this basketball was used, you know, these two basketballs were used in this hardcore match and you can get them now bidding starts at $50 and do a thing online to do an auction side of ring used stuff. Well, there you go. Um, this is a fun one here. Uh, it's from the same guy, horror movie barbecue. You know, I love the belt talk and he's got a fun one that I think we get asked a lot. And I, I can't wait for you to set the record straight. What happened to the King of the ring title belt from 1995? And why wasn't it used on TV? There was no King of the ring belt from 1995. Is that the Mabel one you're discussing? Yep. You're mm -hmm. asking about? Yeah. Mabel had that made personally for himself. 
it was not made by us and it was something that he had made for his own personal collection that he used in independence, but there was no King of the ring belt ever made. Uh, Chris wants to know, no disrespect to Mark Henry or the Bushwhackers, but why did they get in the hall of fame before Rick Martell or demolition matter of choice and the well, people that demolition is suing. <laughs> We're not going to. You, you don't get to sue us. And then we put you on stage in the middle of that active legislation or a- active lawsuit. Yeah, that too. But, and it also before that, even before they were suing, I think that demolition is probably someone that would have warranted a spot in the hall of fame. It comes down to a matter of choice and timing as far as where, you know, where Vince is at that point, what he thinks is going to work for that class. Well, so Mar- Martel will be in Martel will definitely be in eventually demolition will be too. Uh, Eric wants to know what's your favorite dusty wolf match. God, <laughs> the one that we didn't get to have, which was dusty wolf against Zeus and dusty wolf traveled the country with Zeus, basically picking him up at the airport, getting, checking him into the hotels and getting him from town to town the same time there was talk of having Zeus destroy someone on television. And that would have been dusty wolf because he trusted dusty and dusty. was a good guy from San Antonio. And so that's my favorite one is the one that never happened. Thank God for dusty. Uh, Greg wants to know what's the story behind the brother love theme who sang it and what was Bruce's reaction when he heard it. Jim Johnston is the one who wrote that Jim Johnston is the one who put it together. His office for many, many years not many, many years. Yeah, I guess it was many, many years. It was in a church in Greenwich, Connecticut. So he was in the basement of a church in Greenwich. And I think that Jim just used the choir, the church choir for some of that. But that was all Jim Johnston, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, man. What a great song. Eric wants to know, Bulldog follow-up after hearing last week's praise of Harry Smith. Please compare and contrast Harry and Davy Boy. Well, uh, I think Harry, as crazy as this sounds, you know, Harry is huge. He's probably like six, two, six, three. He's a big kid. Uh, Davey, I don't think was six foot. Uh, yeah. Davey was five eleven. Five eleven, Yeah. And, and Harry's just much taller and has a great look. And I think that Harry will probably be a star in this business. Um, he's obviously doing stuff in Japan, doing very well for himself. They're just different. And I'd like to see Harry get, get a shot as a single in the WWE, but you never know. I think they're very similar, but I think that Harry has more potential, frankly, than Bulldog ever did. Harry's build at six, five Davey was billed at five eleven. Harry's 32. Uh, he's going to turn 33 later this year. Do you think there's uh, still time left? I mean, I know a lot of people say, oh, that's passed him by, but AJ Styles was older than that when he got a shot, but maybe AJ Styles was a different performer as well. I think there's plenty of time for Harry to, to have a run and have a good run. All right, let's get to, uh, let's get to another one here. Uh, Alvaro wants to know what was the reaction of people inside and outside the WWE when Mr. McMahon introduced the McMahonism, um, the segment at the church and the tag team was Sean and God. <laughs> uh, Ted DiBiase about had a coronary. Uh, <laughs> Ted being a very religious man and, and Ted has his own ministry now. I think that the initial reaction was, come on, you're not really going to do this. And Vince's adamant, uh, hell we're not. 
Who says I can't wrestle God beat him? Um, sometimes, man, you just got to go through with the exercise and hope that he he sees it a different way when it actually comes to fruition. But I learned my lesson on KD Vic and God. Sometimes that's not always the best best way to handle Vince. I remember Shane and I going into the church when we shot the vignettes in the church. And Vince, we even had Vince do the thing like Al Pacino in the Holy Water, which did not get over good in the church. But, uh, man, sometimes you just got to go with it and say, okay, here we go. I think most people didn't believe it would actually take place. Sarah wants to know when the WWF bought WCW, was there any talk of bringing over Doss Wonderkin, Alex Wright? I fully admit I only wanted him there because he was super cute. Well, Dave Selvish, if he wants to ask those kind of questions, he should just go ahead and call me and ask me. But uh, I don't really remember. I don't remember. All right. I don't know what the hell happened with with Alex Wright during that time because Alex Wright is someone I could see Vince, you know, that that we would have wanted because he spoke German and that crossover. So I don't know that he was a part of that, but. I could be wrong. Oh, here's some rumor and innuendo for you from 40 Charles chase. He says, since the Vince limo explosion will never win a poll. Did Vince really pitch a storyline where he survived the limo explosion, suffer amnesia, and then come back months later with an army of hobos to reclaim the company from Steph and triple H. You. I'm just reading questions, man. I guess that's um, a no. Is that a no? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It's really. Uh, I mean, it's it really is a thread on a forum, uh, and it was put out there. You know, that oh, this is, stop it! I'm being serious. This is supposedly notes from a former creative member. Uh, you know, where a member of creative was leaked, and that was one of the ideas. Now that may have been his idea, but the idea that they were like. <sighs> And then, God damn it, I'll be a hobo like Mortimer in Trading Places. Yeah, that's 100% fact. Sure. Christopher wants to know, upon his return to the company. Hobos. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boss, I could be the lead hobo. I got an ideal. And then I come in, do, do, do. And, and then we get, I bring Bam Bam. We can have, and, and we can be the bum birds. And, and, well, you know, and shit. The, we, uh, shit, we could bring, we could bring back half of Jim Crockett promotions on that gimmick right there along. Listen to you. Upon his return to the company in 1995, why did Charles Wright have the Papa Shango gimmick dropped in favor of comma? And if Shango returned, was he slated to be paired with Mr. Backland? The co- the comma gimmick was something Vince felt it was more realistic and wanted a more realistic thing. He liked Charles Wright, and Charles was training uh, a lot of the MMA stuff and felt that MMA was getting over at the time, and it could be a different way to introduce him. So he thought that the Papa Shango gimmick could only go so far and felt that comma was a more realistic gimmick that he could go further with little did we know that the more realistic gimmick was the godfather and that's the son bitch it took off christopher wants to know whose idea was it to book cornet with mantar and why was it dropped almost immediately could have been a good storyline if mantar turned babyface on corny setting up an angle with camp corny oh 
Uh, Wait, was that Kamala's penis right there? No, no, that was Mantar's. Oh. What if Mantar had a conversation with Kamala's penis? What would that sound like? Oh, are you? That last one was Kamala's penises. In case she didn't know. That. What was what was the noise at the end there? The. Yeah, what was that? Just a, you know, at the end. Okay, let's move. You on. know, don't you? At the end. Sometimes. Okay, well, or sometimes you just fake it. <laughs> Jonathan sometimes, wants to know. Sometimes it's a working. <laughs> just, just saying, you know, sometimes you can be tired and you put all you can into it. Sometimes you just got to work that. No. God damn, was it good for you? That must be. Uh, what the hell was the question? Let's just keep uh, going. I don't want, I don't want to circle back. Jonathan wants to know, did wrestlers get a whole script of a Royal Rumble put in a conference room or were they individual ha- individually handed their part? I would love to see an old script from an old Royal Rumble posted online. No, the, there was a order of entrance and then an order of elimination and guys just could look at that. And if anybody was in there for a long period of time that they had a lot to do, it was basically laid out. Okay. When Mio Moskos comes in, you do this. When Michael Hayes comes in, you do this what have you. Um, but there was no, it, it was a lineup is all it really was. Lineup, come in in this order. You go out in this order. When this guy comes in, this happened. Jonathan also wrote, who do you think got paid more for rumble 91? The model who lasted more than 50 minutes or Jake who lasted around 15 minutes. The model. Ken wants to know when, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad starts his own wrestling promotion. Will he choose Bruce Pritchard or Eric Bischoff to be his head booker? Well, first of all, I'm not starting a wrestling promotion, but secondly, I would use Bruce Bridge. Uh, Sean wants to know whose idea was worse, Katie Vick or Brawl for All? Ooh, that's a tie. Both hor- both horrible in their own right. Uh, fun question here that we've gotten several times before. Let's see if you can give a different answer because it feels like you might. The rumor and innuendo is that Sean was supposed to face Brett at WrestleMania 13. If that wound up happening, who would Stone Cold have faced that night? At WrestleMania? Can I freestyle? I, yeah. I would freestyle that the original plan would have been Brett and Sean. Now we're barring injuries here. Austin Pillman. Austin Pillman would have been absolutely huge. Yes. Um, and bar, you know, but again, the original idea was to go with Brett and Sean there. And I think that looking at the whole, the whole nine yards, especially when you kind of get into that summer with Pillman, and looking at what you have yep. and looking at that baby face build for Austin, that would have made perfect sense. JJ wants to know, did Hacksaw Jim Duggan suffer a head injury that made him behave the way he did? And did he carry the object that caused said injury? You know, the, the big injury that Hacksaw Jim Duggan had was an injury at the Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas, in the Mid-South Universal Wrestling Federation, where one man gang and Duggan were working and Duggan caught his head on the corner post and I swear, man, it was almost a quarter of an inch deep and about four inches long. They had to staple his head up and that was one of the worst injuries I've ever seen. But no, Hacksaw didn't have that kind of head injury. The hell kind of question is that? Well, he means for the gimmick, you know, with the, for the gimmick. no, it just it was ho! precursor to the ho! train what's wrong with you a lot there's there's way 
There is that one of the questions. <laughs> Who asked yeah. that question? Conrad from Huntsville wants to know what's wrong with you. Well, you know. uh, Nikki wants to know, not a rib. What accommodations were made to deal with Hogan's insecurities with his receding hairline? I think we've talked about the side texting. I think you call it and, uh, the bandana, right? Yeah. But that wasn't Hogan's insecurities. That was more Vince wanting, you know, wanting to protect the image of Hulk Hogan. Hulk knew he was bald, you know, and Hulk did the Rogaine gimmick and did all that stuff that, that you do when you have that receding hairline or that male pattern baldness. But, uh, you know, that was Vince's stuff originally to protect his attraction. Keep him young, put hair on his head. Michael wants to know, did Vince ever consider buying the NWA? Vince basically, you know, when he bought Georgia championship wrestling in, in the early eighties, um, he did. And then he sold it back to him. Sean wants to know, and this is a fun question in hindsight, curious on Bruce's take. If the WWE had signed sting instead of warrior in 87, do you think sting would have been a bigger star than he was and had the same longevity he had in WCW? Yeah, I think sting would have been a huge star. I think sting probably would have even eclipsed what warrior did. And you think that's based on his ability to sort of get along with folks or work rate or temperament his his willingness to learn and every everything else his business acumen i think that sting definitely would have been a huge huge star with wwe had he come over during that same time frame american charlie wants to know was the reveal of rikishi running down steve austin at survivor series 99 the original plan or was something changed down the road there was no original plan there was no there was no plan. It was, we'll do this. And then they came back to, well, who drove the car? Let's make that a storyline. So, well, hang on. Let's, let's be clear here. Austin was hurt and needed a reason to be off TV and to go have surgery and to step away for a bit. So the idea was, what can we do to explain why he's not going to be on the card moving forward? Well, he's bald. He has a goatee. Let's hit that motherfucker with a car. Exactly. And so, eventually when he comes back, it's like, oh fuck. Yeah. We hit him with a car. Who was that? Who hit him? It was just a way to sort of explain him off TV and then we'll figure it out. We'll put it back together later. Right. And then when it came time to figure it out, it was like, well, who, why does it matter who drove the car? It's like, well, somebody hit him with a car, <laughs> you know, how do you not forget that? And how do you try to get away from it? So there was not thought it put into it prior to. There was a lot of assumptions there. I guess there were questions as to whether or not, you know, Steve was even going to be coming back. So it was left open. There wasn't a whole plan as far as this is who it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. So when it came to it, it's like, okay, now what? Let me ask this. Do you have an impression of Rikishi saying, I did it. I did it for the rock. Brother, brother. I, I did it, brother, brother. I did it for the rock. Jay Marks, about it. Jay Marks wants to know, do you think sports entertainment could do something with Kung Fu combining arena worked Kung Fu shows, weekly television shows, working scripts and 1970s Kung Fu movie entertainment into a giant program for the masses. You know, we tried to do something similar to that with the W M wait, W M A F the world martial arts federation many, many years ago. And the idea was to shoot a children's show that would air on Saturday mornings. Um, and it would have a Kung Fu storyline kind of arc and you would have teams competing against one another, but they would all have backstories and 
what have you. And we got all the way through. We, we went through casting and the whole nine yards, but uh, never actually came to fruition. So that was that was talk. So pretty good foresight there, or hindsight, I guess, if you will. Rob Cat wants to know, would a long-term or permanent WWE residency in Vegas work? And is it something that was ever seriously considered? It was seriously considered when Vince bought the Debbie Reynolds Casino. The idea was to build the WWE Casino and to have matches there practically every night, but also to utilize some uh, the old-timers that were looking for something to do to be greeters at the hotel Every single day, there would be an attraction of some sort, you know, on the wrestling elk to be able to have guys, people go in and meet a legend and have matches there, move the developmental area out to Las Vegas so that you could have matches in front of a live crowd taking place every single night. So that was about as close as we came to a residency was owning the casino. (sighs) Verl wants to know, what was your favorite restaurant in Chicago back in your traveling days? Morton's. Well, I didn't expect such a right. I mean, immediate answer. When we go, you know, for our show next month at the house of blues, is there one spot you want to hit above all else? Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind going back to the Morton's right out there at Rosemont because that was where we always went. They always kept it open late for us and took really good care of us there. Flair loves Gibson. He thinks Gibson's that, is another good one. He thinks that's the jam and I'm more, uh, I'm more of a Pequod's guy. We hit them all. We're going to be there a few days. There you go. Whoever wants to know if the brawl for all were to happen today, who would win? God, I would hope the brawl. I wish the brawl for all had never happened. Who would win amongst the current crop of talent in WWE? Um, I would have to say probably if you got to throw Brock Lesnar in there, I'd throw Brock Lesnar in there. I mean, why not? Uh, yeah, he'd win. Welshman wants to know how often do tag team partners argue over who would be the one to get pinned or conversely. Who would be the one to make the pin? Any memorable stories? No, I can't really remember. I, I think that most of the time tag team guys had their roles. It was, you know, Robert Gibson was the guy that, that came in and made the save. He got the hot tag and Ricky was the one that sold the whole match. And then Ricky or uh, Robert would come in for the hot tag. And usually Robert would be the one to take the fall and Ricky would go over. So I think tag teams, for the most part, they kind of have their determined roles and probably there's sometimes guys get butt hurt, but none that I can think of off the top of my head, because being a tag team, you know, your role, hopefully, um, Palm wants to know top five guys to never be a WWE champion. Well, I say this just because we recently, you know, did, did the show on him, Roddy Piper. Although I don't believe that Roddy Piper needed the championship, Ted DiBiase, um, these are probably all going to be heels. Uh, you know what? This is going to sound really crazy, but Dusty Rhodes. I would love to have had Dusty have that have that run and just be be that champion and be the guy that Vince saw him as so many years before that. Um, gosh, besides that, none. Those are three pretty good ones. No, do I need to do two more? I mean, we can we can keep it rolling here. Jason wants to know. Was there ever an angle that you proposed that ended up shitting the bed for one reason or another? I love that expression, by the way, shitting the bed. Uh, you know, there were, there were oftentimes angles that we would propose. For example, we would propose something for three months that 
it may shit the bed the first week and Vince would rush it from three months to three weeks. There was, you know, there was a lot of that. I think the Hulk Hogan, Mr. America angle is something in Vince's opinion that shit the bed, but I think it only shit the bed because they didn't understand it. And it shit the bed big time in a way that, you know, when Hulk got fed up and didn't like his WrestleMania payoff that he was gone, but I, it shit the bed and I felt it could have been huge. Dave wants to know how would both of you book Roman Reigns to finally get over with the fans as the top baby face? I'll let you take this one, Bruce. Well, first of all, I would just have him go in and convincingly beat uh, Brock Lesnar. And then <laughs> I'd shove him down everybody's throat until you liked it. Uh, there's no, an no, old no, saying. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, I would. Really? Actually, I, actually, I really and truly would. Uh, I think that Roman being a what people would consider a heel and going that direction where Roman basically embraced the reaction he's getting from the crowd and kind of shit back on the crowd in the same way would make him one of the biggest baby faces in in the industry because then as soon as he as soon as he loves what they're doing I could see people really loving that does that make sense yeah uh, Mark wants to know did anyone pay attention to the after mags no, uh, you know, I'll tell you a funny story way back in the, in the days, uh, olden days, territorial days, there was a, an article that said Lawler beach giant. And it was a story about Andre, the giant wrestling, Jerry Lawler and Lawler winning by disqualification. But the headline was, uh, or no, the, the, the headline was midget beats giant. And it was about Jerry Lawler getting a victory over Andre the Giant. And Vince Sr. was really pissed off about that and really pissed off at, at the Memphis Territory for having Lawler, quote, go over Andre the Giant, even though it was a DQ and a schmoz finish that, you know, it didn't matter. But that was the only, no, we didn't pay any attention to them. They had great pictures, um, but it was, a, it was a fictional magazine. So nothing yeah. to pay attention to. DJ some skills wants to know it's a wrestling barometer. I need an all time survivor series match four heels and four baby faces, any wrestler in 1987 and after. So you want the top match would be let's, let's do Hulk Hogan, right? John Cena. Okay. Undertaker. Okay. Stone cold, Steve Austin. And your four bad guys are Roddy Piper. Okay. Hmm. Heels. Macho man, Randy Savage. Thank you. I was waiting on that one. Andre, the giant. There's one big one. He's going to be across the ring from Austin. The rock. There you go. Ah, fun stuff. Carolina kid wants to know why was Ludwig Borga chose to end Tatanka's streak and why edit the chair shot? Uh, well, Ludwig Borga, man, we were planning on big things for Ludwig. We thought Ludwig being a heel and being that international, you know, foreign menace, so to speak was going to come in and really be something big for us. So he was destined the guy native American Tataka. So a foreigner coming in and taking the native Americans undefeated streak away made a whole hell of a lot of sense. And Ludwig, unfortunately just didn't pan out is, is the worker and, or as the human being. Uh, Dan wants to know, you allude to matches that Vince hated to the point where he quote, made them do it again or sent them back out there. Is that meant literally? In other words, so they actually walk right back to a live crowd and do the same match again. 
If yes, isn't the crowd confused? Feels like it's hard to keep kayfabe in those those type of situations. No, it's very easy. You send somebody out and say, "Hey, I'm not satisfied." Send the heel out, and I'll I'll kill you. Come back, you know. You make a story out of it. You make it make sense. But yes, we've done that plenty of times where either there was a spot or the finish was screwed up that Vince wanted them to go back out and do it all over again so that you can edit it together, get everybody in the same spot, and make it work for television-wise. The live audience, a lot of times for the taped television was was a prop and we you know they were there for background chris wants to know the young stallions seemed to get a solid push in the fall of 87 but then fizzled in 88 what happened they were getting a solid push as a team to beat and gave them some wins on tv so that when we beat them on house shows and everywhere else that it actually meant something they were both young guys and there was some hopes for Jim Powers and Paul Roma, both to be single stars in their own right. So it was a way to kind of get them exposure on television, get them some wins. When they get beat on the house shows, it means a little more for the team that beat them, but also hopefully spin them off into singles. Uh, Chris wants to know, did Vince or anyone else in the company ever have any interest in bringing in Russian Olympic wrestler, Alexander Carolyn? It would have been a monster heel and an ideal villain for Hogan. Corellan, the experiment is what he was called, man. Uh, for those that don't know, Corellan was the was undefeated for many, many years before uh, the guy from Iowa defeated him in the 2000 Olympics, I guess it was. All I remember was being on the George Washington Bridge, and I got a phone call. Corellan got beat. And, ah, I can't remember the big guy's name, but I I remember calling his agent and they were still on the floor and saying, Hey, we're interested. You guys want to come in. Are you talking about when Rulon Gardner won? Rulon Gardner. Yes. That's a big bastard there. Yes. And I actually was on the phone with his agent on the mat at the Olympics, um, after he beat the experiment, but the experiment was a kid they brought up in Russia. And they trained him his whole life. He worked for the Russian government. He's still a part of the Russian government. Uh, Trained him to be the ultimate wrestler. He had never had a point scored against him and never lost or whatever the hell it was. But he was a machine and a monster. In every four years after the Olympics, Vince would reach out. How you doing, pal? You want to make some real money? Truth of the matter is, is the amount of money and the amount of notoriety that Corellan had in Russia it couldn't compare to, you know, even being worldwide and being the biggest thing in the world wouldn't compare to the kind of money and the kind of recognition he had in Russia. And he just wasn't interested in being a professional wrestler at all, but he was a machine and a badass. And so when Rulon Gardner beat him, uh, what better than to have Rulon come in and, and, Things just didn't work out for Rulon. He didn't have the aptitude really for the professional wrestling business. Nice guy, wanted it, but he was no Kurt Angle. Man, what could have been? I mean, that dude was a big deal. Uh, Ted Baker wants to know, which building in Memphis did you enjoy the most and why? The Pyramid, the FedEx Forum, or the Mid-South Coliseum? Mid-South Coliseum just had so much friggin' history. So I'm partial to the Mid-South Coliseum just because of the history, and you can walk in there. The other ones were just arenas. Adam wants to know, what's the worst match both Bruce and Conrad have ever seen, and was Bruce a part of that booking? So let's talk about that. The worst match you ever booked. (laughs) There are so many of them. It seems like a good idea, and then the bell rings. 
Does one come to mind? Oh my God. Well, you first. Well, I don't know what you booked. So this is a question. Well, no, for you. yeah, yeah, but they asked what's the worst you've ever seen. What's the worst one you've ever seen? That's hard for me to say. Um, oh my God. Any of the Brawl for All stuff was absolutely god awful terrible. Um, you know, you you go back and you and you look. Uh Undertaker and Giant Gonzalez. Well, there's a good answer. Uh, Blake wants to know any good stories with the foreign commentary teams, like them saying the wrong thing or giving away a finish. Do they all say the same thing as the English team? Of course not. <laughs> we have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> we keep our fingers crossed and we hope that they're saying the correct thing, but no, they don't, they do their own thing. And we hope that <laughs> they're doing it correctly. Uh, Brian wants to know, did Bruce ever have any interaction with Bruiser Brody? And what did he think of him? I had a lot of interaction with Bruiser Brody in Texas during the territory days coming through working for Paul Bosch and I always found Brody to be a hell of a good guy, smoked a lot of dope and um, was just a really nice guy. He could be an asshole. It could be very difficult to deal with if he didn't like you, but he could separate too. Like I worked for the promotion and if he were mad at Paul, he would be mad at Paul and not take it out on me. But he was a hell of a draw, and as far as a human being, I thought he was a pretty nice guy. Zach wants to know, why do you think the WWE now uses UFC stars like Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar as special attractions, but when Ken Shamrock joined the Fed, he was in the trenches day in, day out as one of the boys? Because that's what Ken wanted to do, and that's what we wanted to do at the time. We wanted to bring Ken in to be on the roster and make him a part of the WWE. And I think that you know, right now, Ronda Rousey is on the roster and being part of the WWE and Brock Lesnar's Brock Lesnar. Ain't going to be another one like him for a long time. It's also worth mentioning the UFC didn't really hit that next level popularity until 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. 09 was sort of a banner year for them. And everything that's happened after 09 has been much more mainstream than whatever was going on in the UFC in 94, 95, 96. Yeah. Meyerowitz still had it back then. Well, it was like, it was sort of underground and new and, and even banned for a little while. It had not really blown up the way it did with the ultimate fighter in 05. Correct. Sean wants to know another WrestleMania 15 question. I'd love to know the answer to how come on the network, they blank out people saying WWF, but not world wrestling federation. And they allow the WWF logo to be shown. That's one you'd have to ask the damn folks over at the network. I, I still don't understand the rules on saying WWF or world wrestling federation and when the logo can be seen and when it can't, I, I don't know, but it's a legal, it's a legal matter. Yeah. We get that question a lot. Like. Why are they bleeping out WWF or world wrestling federation on the network show? Well, clearly it's part of the settlement that they have and the agreement that they have with the world wildlife fund. I don't know exactly what that is. They haven't told us not to say WWF or world wrestling federation. Cause they don't tell us not to say anything. So we say whatever, and then they just bleep it out. Of course here, it's not a WWE product. Now what's the difference? If WWE airs it on their own network, then they're sort of allowing it. Well, they're not allowing us to say it here. Cause we do what we want. And you know, if it was on the network, technically someone at the world wildlife fund could have a claim. Uh, Mark wants to know, were you there when Freddie Prince jr. Was there? If so, was he actually on the creative team? Any good stories? Freddie Prince. Uh, yes, I was there when Freddie Prince was there and Freddie was a whole hell of a lot of fun to work with. Freddie got his job by getting up in the meeting with Stephanie McMahon and 
whispering in her ear, imagine you're on a subway and you're looking at people on the subway and you realize that this person is a part of the WWE universe. And that person over there, they have another vision of the WWE universe. But look down, seated three seats over. That person is part of the WWE universe. And his skills as far as selling this storyline of a subway full of the WWE universe and all of them seeing it through different eyes is what got him the job. But Freddie was creative as hell. And, uh, he, I thought he did some good work while he was there. Adam wants to know when Andre was arrested in Iowa, the paper said his manager posted bond. Would that have been kayfabed and Heenan showed up or was it someone like Tim white? <laughs> It was probably someone like Arnold Skolan. Yeah, it was probably Arnie just showing up and paying whatever fine there was and moving on. Ian wants to know, do you remember any matches where one guy was supposed to win but lost because he just couldn't get his shoulders up on time, whether he was lazy yeah. or hurt or whatever? Yeah, that happens all the time. I mean, it, it's it's the, the, there's a lot there's a lot of those that have happened and they've happened on live television and shit to say anything off the top of my head because it happens so often. That would be kind of difficult to do. Michael wants to know, I've always been curious about guys in the early nineties who got short lived mini pushes that seemed to end as quickly as they started battle cat, Chris Walker, et cetera. Any good stories? Well, battle cat was something Vince always had an idea for a Mickey mouse, not Mickey mouse, a mighty mouse character. And battle cat was somebody that we had Bob Bradley under, we had uh Brady Boone under, and I want to say there was even a third one, but it was you know, guys who ever fit the outfit and someone that could go out and portray this mighty mouse character. They just never really seemed to get over the way that Vince wanted them to. And sometimes you just try stuff. And if the audience doesn't buy it, you move on. The mad monk was another one. God damn. We did, I think like six weeks of mad monk appearances and trying to do something with him and people just didn't buy it and it fizzled out. So you move on to the next one. It's often been said that McMahon is out of the loop much of the time regarding pop culture. Do you think his living in a bubble has helped Vince focus and be successful as he has, or has it prevented him from being even more successful? I think that Vince is Vince does live in a bubble. Make no mistake about it. However, Vince is thinking about things 20 years down the line. And when you go back and revisit, people will find maybe in 10, 15, 20 years down the line that, oh my God, Vince was talking about this way back when we thought that he was out of touch. He may have been out of touch with what was going on at the time, but he was in touch with the future and thinking about what to do to get over then. Jason wants to know what's the relationship between Bruce and Vince like nowadays? We text every once in a while and, uh, that's about it. We said, hello at raw 25. I didn't even see him at WrestleMania other than a quick walk by at the hall of fame. And we text and that's about it. Jacob wants to know what did the traditional agents and backstage folks think about Shane McMahon wrestling? Did anyone not like it because he hadn't worked his way up and paid his dues? I don't know that anyone didn't like it. I think that there was some skepticism in the very beginning, but Shane went and he trained, he busted his ass to learn. And there was no, you know, certainly couldn't fault him for hard work because the bastard was in the ring every single night, busting his ass, learning how to work. And I think the guys encouraged him and they liked his work ethic. What do you think is the difference in the way people sort of handle and discuss Shane McMahon compared to say an Eric Watts, both have the unfortunate, you know, sort of can't win position of being a promoter son. 
and both were booked with at different times, pretty significant pushes. And it would be easy to sort of shit on Shane for being in that spot, but his performance is not something that was ever really ever compared to Eric Watts, but he, beyond, you know, just physical capacity. Do you think some of that is because Shane's dad is still sort of the wrestlings are and Eric's is not. I think that when you look at the position for both guys is a tough position to be in. And I don't know, uh, from Eric's point of view, at least in WCW, I don't know how Eric handled a lot of that. I do know how Shane handled it. And I think that the boys appreciated how Shane was and appreciated how Vince was. And Vince was hard on Shane and made him earn a lot of that as well. And didn't put him in there till he was ready. Um, I don't know that Bill was the most popular guy in the world as a promoter and a booker backstage. So there may have been guys that resented that uh, when it came to Eric Watts. But I don't, man, for both of those guys, I wouldn't want to be in their position being the boss's son and being pushed out there and, and having to be in that position. Sean Hammond wants to know, when WrestleMania is over, does the creative group map out the next year? How is it done? We try to, you know, you try, you try to map it out even before you get to WrestleMania, you try to have an idea of, okay, we're going to have this WrestleMania. What are we looking at next year's anything that we want to plant a seed here for next year? If not that you do try and start thinking about WrestleMania as soon as the last one is over. So you have something to work for. Uh, Francis wants to know if you got the nod for an induction into the WWE hall of fame, who would be your top five people to induct you? Huh? You, Gerald Briscoe, John Layfield, my brother and undertaker. I'm on the top five. Yeah. How about that? Uh, Sarah wants to know in 19, 19- you brought me back. You basically <laughs> made me relevant again. I love you. <laughs> No, dude, you, you always had this in you. You just had to have somebody. You helped bring it it out. Yeah. Well, I saw it. Uh, That's it. Um, Sarah wants to know in 1994, WWF had a float in the Macy Thanksgiving day parade. And the 1994 survivor series was the day before. It's not like it was on the East coast. It was in San Antonio. Do you know if anyone was upset having to fly all the way over to be in the parade? They all were. <laughs> were they ups- They were pissed and they were freezing. Oh my god! It was like, God damn it! We've got to be on the float, and everybody's down there. And I think it was ice, and, and uh, like they had an ice storm or something right beforehand. And er- oh, it was miserable, absolute misery. And I remember Pat thinking, about, oh, this is so great that we got the float in the Macy's parade. That's so great. But no, I think everybody was pissed with the exception of Vince who, you know, was bundled up warm and he was home. So <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Misery. Hatred. Fuzz wants to know, was there ever any talk of doing a brother love show during the attitude era? No, there wasn't. And I don't know that brother love really would have gotten over in that, in, in the attitude era. I think it was too gimmicky. If you will, uh, fuzz wants to know hypothetically, if Bruce could be a manager for any wrestler past or present, who would it be? Bray Wyatt. Well, there you go. Uh, but I, I, I'll tell you the the guy, this, this guy, Lars Sullivan from NXT, uh, that I saw Sunday, man, holy cow. I'd love to have somebody like that. He's going to be a huge star. Um, Stevie wants to know anything Uh about Tony Atlas becoming Saba Simba 
such as when Roddy Piper acknowledged who he was on superstars. He said something like that's Tony Atlas. What's he doing? Oh boy. Let me see how it. <sighs> okay. My first day back in the WWE, it was at Hershey Coliseum after the first time that I'd been fired. So that's 1992, September, 1992. And I'm sitting in the arena and Vince comes and sits down next to me and we're talking and he says, oh, you got to see this pal. Look, look at this. Saba Simba. Tell me what you think. So they have the music and Saba Simba comes down in the outfit and he does the whole big presentation. He takes everything off and we're looking and Vince says, what do you think? I said, I think it looks like Tony Atlas barefoot. And it was just dead silent because when he came out in the elaborate outfit, it looked really cool. He's got all this headgear and all these feathers and all this stuff. And then he takes it off and he's wearing blue trunks. He's barefoot and it's just Tony Atlas. Right. Saba Simba was the guy that you saw coming down the aisle and, and all this flamboyant shit. And I said, man, uh, I don't get it. And that's why that reference was made because we couldn't get trunks and we couldn't get a ring outfit in time and Vince wanted to put him on TV that week. So he said, you know, Tony Atlas who now wants to be known as Saba Simba. They made a story cause it was, I just didn't get it. Cause it's fucking stupid. Uh, Greg wants to know how would Jim Cornette sing Hulk Hogan's theme song? I am a real American motherfucker. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American motherfucker. Fucker. Cleveland Aussie wants to know were any of the guys disgusted by the crap that Skinner had in his mouth or for that matter, the worms that boogeyman had in his well, Skinner's was just licorice. His was just black licorice. So that one was, that one wasn't as bad. And, you know, I wasn't really around for much of Skinner's run in, in the WWE with his licorice mouth. However, the boogeyman, um, that was disgusting. A lot of guys weren't really fond of it, but they sucked it up and they were willing to do it. And boogeyman's were working worms anyway. Uh, they were organic. They were edible and clean. Efren wants to know, I would love to know Pat Patterson's relationship with Randy Savage and Elizabeth was macho man as protective with Pat about Elizabeth. Now, obviously the implication there is that, you know, macho man sort of wanted to keep all the guys away from her, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe for fear of them hitting on her. Obviously Efren's question is, did that apply to Pat Patterson? Was he still as protective when maybe that wasn't as big of a concern, sort of a weird question, but the type I expect from Efren. Yeah. Well, I think Pat, you know, Pat and Randy had a love hate relationship at times. And sometimes why, why there was a lot is of that? Confusion. I think because Pat was the guy that was next to Vince for so many years and a lot of times was the one who delivered the messages. So if it was bad news, then it, it came, came from, from Pat. Pat. Yeah. And Randy would be, yeah, well, won't you tell him what didn't Vince tell me? And it's Patterson stirring the shit over there. So Pat was oftentimes put in an awkward position, but Pat was also someone who, when Elizabeth went to the ring in different places or she had to go by herself, Pat always took it upon himself to make sure that she was safe getting out there. There you go. They had, yeah, they had a decent relationship and Pat looked after Liz, especially, uh, for Randy. Skull crusher wants to know who came up with the Ricky steamboat fire breathing gimmick. <laughs> that was Vince, and it was a way to embellish the dragon uh, persona. He was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, but yet when he came out, there was no semblance of a dragon, and he wanted to take that one step further. So I looked into fire breathing, and if there were anybody to 
teach fire breathing out there. And we found a guy, Brian LaPalm, who was with the All-American Circus. And Ricky and I went to, like I believe, Fort Myers, Florida, or Fort Lauderdale, one of those forts down in Florida, and spent a week with Brian LaPalm learning how to breathe fire. Ken, it's just something to create more for Ricky. Ken wants to know, whose idea was it to have the refs run away from Undertaker when he glared at them, and who did it best? Well, that was just something, it was just something that happened. That was never, that wasn't something we said, okay, when Undertaker glares at you, run away from him. It was a natural deal that whoever the first referee, you know, Earl did it really well, or Joey Morella really did it well, but it was a, shine of, a sign of respect and like kind of, I don't know what the hell this guy is here, but we tried to do it, tried to underplay it a little bit, but just show some fear there and not knowing what they have. Well, it was awesome. Um, Nick, the Knight wants to know, does Bruce Pritchard have any good wrestler court stories? I never had to go to wrestler court for anything. Thank God. But you know, there, I think that the idea behind wrestlers court was to be sure and get some enough booze for everybody in the locker room to enjoy and have a good time at the end of the day. So the only writer I think that ever went into wrestlers court was Brian Gewertz and Brian didn't know that he needed to bribe the judge with enough beer for the entire locker room. Just not those on the jury, if you will. Frank wants to know, can Bruce, can you finally speak on why Simon Dean hates you? I don't know why Simon Dean hates me. I honestly got it. Have no idea. I was not, not a huge fan of the, uh, Nova character or whatever character that he was doing. I don't think it was Nova, whatever character that he was doing in developmental, uh, wasn't a big fan of it. Didn't think that it would get over and which is why we came up with the Simon Dean character was a way to try and, and get his personality over. I have no idea why he hates me. You'd have to ask him that. Normally, I know why people hate me. That one, I don't. Is he the guy who created, as far as you know, the the bullet reference? The bullet reference being, I'd take a bullet for Tom, I'd put one in Bruce. I think, yeah, I think he's the one that said it, yeah. Uh, Chris wants to know, I'd love to know if Jeff Hardy was supposed to win the Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania 24. It was advertised as an eight-man match until he was suspended. Of course, CM Punk wound up winning. I think Jeff was, I think Jeff was slated to win it. Uh, Michael wants to know why did the WWF go away from subtitled pay-per-views like in your house? It's time and beware of dog, uh, to make them all major pay-per-views and the, in your houses were cheaper and they were shorter. So the decision was made to go ahead and do all of them. Major pay-per-views charge more, make them an hour longer financial reasons. Uh, Michael wants to know there's rumor and innuendo about JBL and Joey styles getting into a physical confrontation. Any details? No, I wasn't on the flight. It was an over, it was an overseas flight. I think it was a tribute to the troops where JBL was ribbing Joey styles. And then Joey styles punched him. That was about it. Much ado about nothing. Allegedly, you know, uh, he, he felt like JBL sort of crossed the line with a comment about his family. He popped him. Nobody expected Joey to fight back. And, uh, it was sort of over after that, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Like I said, much to do about nothing. <laughs> you know, Joey was fine. Bradshaw was fine. Everybody was like, yay. And it was over. Arturo wants to know who booked the Tim white lunchtime suicides. Oh my gosh. That was a Vince McMahon creation that he just thought after Tim had broken his shoulder and we did something and somebody mentioned that Tim was really depressed over not being able to be in the ring refereeing and what have you. And somebody Joe's like, yeah, you know, you look at Tim white and he was doing an interview 
about something. And I said, Timmy looked so depressed in there. looked like he was just going to blow his brains out. And Vince was like, I love it. We should do that. And it just became a running joke that Tim would find different ways to off himself. You never saw it on camera, but the inference was, you know, Tim's going to go and, and end it, end it all right now. And he would find different ways to end it each and every week and not be successful, which would depress him even more. <sighs> Is that one of the worst ideas ever? Yeah, pretty much. Michael wants to know, was Jericho ever really penciled in for the WrestleMania 2000 main event four way Jericho talks about being on the initial poster. And I think it's even the artwork on the network too. Or was this all to just throw people off from it actually being Foley? You know, I, I, it also may have just been that Jericho's picture was on there uh, <laughs> and not even being a part of the match. And that happens a lot of times too, where creative services will put something out or that, you know, sometimes people put it out online that it's, it's not real. But in this case, it was something that was put out by creative services and it may have been something that had been discussed early on. And it was real preliminary early artwork that just got out there. Uh, Steven Nepa wants to know whatever happened to the witch chick that Vince would always talk to at the end of the shows in the eighties. Who was she? The witch chick. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Steven Gibbs wants to know why was Randy Savage announced as Randy macho man, Savage. And then it changed to macho man, Randy Savage later on in his career. <laughs> semantics folks i you know that just is is a change and that's just something in fairness that, it does feel like something that vince would sort of have a burr in his saddle about like god damn it he's not randy macho man savage he's the macho man randy savage yeah i can see that and and probably macho just real macho man freak out freak out and to get that in front in front of the name so that we can refer to him as macho man uh-huh first name macho last name man Read the boots, bitch. Uh, Kirk wants to know how was entrance music played over the house speakers back in the eighties? Did you guys have separate cassette tapes for each wrestler and any funny stories about the wrong music being played? Well, usually played it over a house PA system and no, but like, what was the delivery? Was it, was it a cassette? I mean, probably was, it probably was a cassette. Yeah. Um, God, I, you know, for any, any time, most of the time for television, obviously it's all played through the truck. Uh, and that was all on one inch tape. The tape, the actual music was, but for house shows, it was probably a, a cassette tape. Uh, any funny stories about the wrong music being played in Europe all the time. Guys used to go in and, and change the tapes and, or sit with the, sit with the guy, the music guy, when they would come out and they're doing it like, on fun. I mean, they're doing it yes. on purpose for fun. Yeah. yeah. Midway through, send the undertaker out to real American and, uh, just different things like that. Jeremy wants to know, has Bruce ever taken a stone cold stunner? Never. No. Well, I take that back. I took a stone cold stunner in the dressing room of Ford field to show Donald Trump how to do it. Matt wants to know any fun off the wall, hardcore match stories in 98, Al Snow and Bob Holly were doing some crazy backstage stuff. I think the, the most fun that I had is the stuff that we did with Gerald Briscoe and crash Holly in a, in like a, a jump area uh it was a play area for kids they had a, kids they had a bunch of trampolines and ladders and and slides and different stuff that we went in and had jerry briscoe beat crash holly for the belt in there it's a lot of fun jeremy wants to know ddp had a very uneventful run in the wwe after being a top guy in wcw had age and injuries caught up to him at this point or did vince simply not see anything in him you know i'll take 
a lot of the blame for that because I thought that the way to bring DDP in would be something with the undertaker. And we did the Sarah gimmick. That was my idea. Didn't work. And it was, I think I had one vision for it and Vince had another vision for it. So a lot of that stuff I shot my way and Vince got it back and just, I'll never forget spending three days in Texas shooting vignettes, bringing them back. And Vince just looking at me like this sucks. How the fuck can I use any of it? And we had to basically recut them and have DDP do voiceovers on it. And I lost, I lost the fire for the gimmick. I think Dallas lost fire for it. And I don't know anybody's heart was really in it. So that kind of was snake bit from day one. Fuzz wants to know in the million dollar man episode, it was said that Vince would not tell Ted the gimmick before he signed. Was there ever a time where, was there ever a time when Vince told someone the gimmick before, and then they went and used it elsewhere? No, because usually he wouldn't, uh, unless it was embellishing the gimmick that they had. Right. Normally Vince wouldn't share what he had in mind for him until they were on board. Dwayne wants to know why was Coco beware never used in any angles or feuds with anyone. He wasn't, I mean, you can't name any, so it doesn't really say a lot that he was. <laughs> Uh, Anthony wants to know, uh, was there ever any serious thought in 1997 of working with FMW to have sort of an exploding death match style match in the WWF? You know, we talked about it and I went over there to take a look at it. And after seeing it, I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever seen in my life and not something that American audiences would get into and or buy. So it was quickly it was quickly scrapped the, the aura of, Oh my God, an exploding bomb match and all this stuff sounds cool until you actually go there and experience it and experiencing it was not a pleasant, pleasant deal. And I don't, you know, it's, it's, you go back and look at their crowds. They diminished more and more. They did it. So no. When WWE went to HD in early 08, why did raw ECW and SmackDown share the exact same stage? For cost. Andrew Money. wants to know, would Bruce consider an on-air role for WWE programming in the future? Sure. If the money was right. The spot was right. DJ wants to know, what was the purpose of making the hell in a cell taller in 06 for DX versus McMahon and Big Show? I just think that it was when they redid the cage that they, the dimensions were taller. And so utilize that, promote it. Mark K. Fave says, referencing a selling tour overseas, meaning the sold tour. How did the overseas tours work when it came to marketing and promotion? So I think he's asking about when you have like a sold show. A lot of that. Well, obviously we would market it on our television product that we were coming, but usually the promoters overseas, they would take care of everything else as far as the marketing and the promotion for it locally. Last one. Would Jim Cornette rather fly in a quote unquote death tube or ride in a car being driven by a running late Vince McMahon? He'd probably rather get in the car with a running late Vince McMahon. Well, we're going to be getting Motherfucker. in. Thank you. We're going to be getting in the car next week, right here when we cover Bob Holly. If you have a question, go ahead and hit us up right now. You can ask questions about Bob Holly on Twitter at Pritchard Show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. You never know when Bruce is going to go live. It's facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. If you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would really appreciate it. And we are starting to archive more and more of those clips. And we're even about to upload Brucey. Ready for this? Oh my God. Time stamps for almost every single episode. It'll be easy to navigate. You'll be able to click around and find some of your favorite clips that you want to show some of your friends who maybe aren't regular podcast listeners, but you'd like to introduce them to our show. 
And if you haven't already, check us out on the WWE Network every Wednesday night. We've got uh, quite the lineup coming up, including one that everyone in the WWE said we couldn't do, but we're doing it anyway. Stay tuned. It's Wednesdays on the WWE Network. And don't forget to check us out live when we're coming to a town near you. BrucePritchard.com has your tickets right now. BoxOfGimmicks.com has all kinds of fun gear over there as well. Baby onesies, tumblers, koozies, beach towels, whatever you're looking for. Be sure to check out BoxOfGimmicks.com. Of course, as always, you can save money and get into a brand new house with no money down at SaveWithBruce.com. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here, boys and girls, for something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.